Hello and welcome to V&A Dundee. We're an international design museum showcasing the brilliance of Scottish creativity and the best of design from around the world. The following audio was recorded live at V&A Dundee as part of our public programme. If you'd like to come along to our next event, head over to the website for details. Thanks ever so much for um, coming out today. I know people's lunch times are often really precious uh, commodity, so I really appreciate you taking the time to to come along today. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. This is a, a remarkable resource in Scotland. Um, so, yeah, who, who am I? So I, at the moment, I've got um, the title of Creative Development Manager at the Women's Library. Um, this sort of naming of, of roles and responsibilities is something that I'm going to sort of go back to uh, at the end of this talk um, because it's hard to sort of define what anybody does in the Women's Library really precisely because we tend to sort of think of each of the individuals as having massive creative potential. Everybody's got creative potential. And often there's a little bit of mission creep, you know, that you might have the title finance manager, but you might find yourself, as is the case in the library at the moment, being involved in a creative cluster that is looking at green issues. So we'll talk a little bit about that later on. But my uh, history is I, I was one of the co-founders of the Women's Library millions of years ago, um, but I, I came from a design background. So my personal and professional life, I've been very, very interested in design, but also in gender, equalities, issues to do with representation. It's very much a hot top topic across all the cultural organisations at the moment. You know, who is represented? Who's involved? Who's, who's getting a chance to um, head up organisations or to um, be involved in driving what Scottish culture uh, might be and how, how they are represented in it? that have been involved in loads of different organisations over the years. Uh, some of them design um, organ, uh, organisations like have been involved in no less than three self-built uh, housing organisations, and I'm involved in one now that's about older people and design and self-build. Um, but I've been working with creatives of one sort or another, whether they're filmmakers, designers, uh, photographers, artists, throughout my uh, career. So I had a period, I came to, to Glasgow about nearly 40 years ago now uh, to study at Glasgow School of Art, and I've still got quite a strong connection with the art school. I'm supervising PhD students now. Um, whilst I'm based in the Women's Library, I'm, I'm working with a lot of uh, organiser, academic organisations, and now one of them. And I, I taught there actually for... Um, about 12 years. So, um, yes, that, I suppose that's another area where I, I have actually been actively involved in, I suppose, connecting with creatives uh, of one sort or another. And I'm going to sort of speak a little bit about how this um, has been part of my work in, in Women's Library. The Women's Library, as I mentioned, uh, or maybe I didn't mention, was founded in 1991. And at that time, um, there weren't any women's libraries, women's archives, women's libraries um, in Scotland. 
So we, although there were in England, strangely enough, uh, we looked to models in Europe um, for inspiration. So that wasn't a sort of conscious, like, let's have the women's library. During uh, 1990, um, we've been involved in almost like the organisation that gave birth to the women's library. That was an organisation set up to sort of make sure that during the year that Glasgow was going to be European City of Culture, that there was a more diverse representation. Because at that time, it was a very, I must say, pale male style affair, if you don't mind me saying. And it was very much about old school beards, uh, not the beautiful hipster Abbey beards that you see now, nowadays. It was very much almost like this is what uh, Glasgow's culture is about. And it's about... Um, uh, older male poets and writers and um, co comedians and so on and so forth. And we were sort of thinking, they're fabulous. However, there, there are also women in Glasgow's history and women who are doing current work as creators. Let's make sure that the full diversity, not just women, but people who've got different representations of, of culture are involved. So at that time, we had a visit from... Uh, a couple of uh, women's archives and libraries that were, interestingly enough, women's arts archives and libraries. And this really sort of planted the seed about what we might do after 1990. So um, we were really inspired by seeing these models of women's art archives and seeing the way that creatives had actually forged libraries, collections and museums. And just recently, I've concluded a CLAW fellowship, which is a leadership fellowship. It's a PAM-UK. In fact, they have international fellows as well. And I've been looking at the ways that, Elbasat, what has been happening in this phenomenon, the Women's Library, over the last 30 years? How has it grown? How has it survived? And looking really about what the learning might be for us in reflecting on our own work, but also maybe from some of the mainstream organisations who are trying to grapple with this idea of inclusivity in their work. So what could be the conversations that might happen between an organisation like our own and some of the, the mainstream ones? So, uh, And what could the funders find out as well about reflecting on an organisation like our own? This idea of resilience has been really interesting to me because I've noticed that um, in that big flourishing during 1990 in Glasgow, almost like where Glasgow started to define itself as a, a cultural city, just in the way that Dundee has over the last 40 years, Dundee's been on a reinvention, reinvigorating and really showcasing amazing, uh, wonderful creativity that's um, a part of the city. Um, it's interesting to look back and see that of all the cultural offer, um, during uh, that really landmark year in 1990, I think we're the only, as it were, community organisation that was sort of germinated in that period that survived. So what, what can we learn from, from that? Certainly, we have got community relevance. We've been in various locales. This is our first wee shop front in Garnet Hill. Um, we've got community relevance, but we've also, we're also now a destination, you know, for visitors internationally and nationally. And we've 
really appreciated seeing the cultural change around us over the last three decades and acknowledging that we have played a role in that. However, precarity, fragility, all these sort of anxieties about um, funding and, and resourcing and so on are still with us. I think we've got 25 staff now. Uh, we started off as a, a totally volunteer-led organisation for the first decade. Um, but, you know, there's, st and there's still lots of issues that we were facing those 30 years ago that are still with us. So we're certainly not complacent. We're st certainly still um, challenging and trying to do change-making work on lots of different registers. But what I want to go on to talk about really is how design has been critical in this development because it's not really a, an obvious thing that you might imagine. Um, so our organisation is unusual in that it is run by trained designers and artists. That is hugely unusual for a museum archive to be run by two arts trained people. So we are imposters, really. We're not we're not proper librarians or proper uh, museum professionals. Um, but let's um, go on a second. So I, I suppose one of the reasons why I wanted to just stick this slide up is to encourage you to visit our website where you'll see lots of beautiful design represented. Um, but I wanted to sort of point out at the top there in the left-hand corner is, is our logo. And we always sort of like think, oh, we need to address the logo. Should we change the logo and so on? At the moment, we're not changing the logo, but that might, might happen. But right at the outset, um, because I don't think it's the best logo in the world, I'm embarrassed to say that I designed the logo, but the reason I wanted to refer to it really is that um, right at the outset, we, we weren't just sticking a design together like on the hoof, you know, oh, anything will do. Um, this logo, I wanted to sort of like walk you through really the thinking about how this came about. So um, I thought we needed a logo that um, could exist without the words Glasgow Women's Library and didn't signal one type of person, one type of woman. Um, now we would say... Um, you know, that there's loads of complexity around even using the term woman, that we're welcoming those discussions in the Women's Library and thinking through that. So that might be one of the reasons why a logo might want to, need to change. But certainly all those decades ago, uh, we were still sort of thinking carefully about it, thinking, well, what about the women who are not avid readers? What about the women who are not confident readers? But I think we needed something that really was saying, this is women, it's information, that information I was sort of like universally known and that sort of like woman walking, it was a sort of like, you know, showing that we had a, a little bit of a sense of humour in terms of uh, the man walking and so on and so forth. But we wanted something simple that could be understood without the words Glasgow Women's Library. So I suppose that sort of sense of um, how we could, how would he commun communicate to everyone and how do you communicate a complex message to everyone um, so now across the organization we have these things called creative clusters I'll maybe talk a little bit more about them at the latter part of this we talk but we're trying to be active across the organization thinking about how this place and the resources that are in, in it 
could be relevant to, to everyone. Um, so fast forward, since 1991, the growth was steady to begin with, but in the last decade or so, the growth has been spectacular. I mean, it's been incredible. We, but we are still led by our values, our core values that we had at the outset, which was to try and put people first and the materials, make them actively owned by everyone. Um, and that this idea of creativity should be nurtured, not just in, in the organisation, but with anyone who might visit the Women's Library. I think in the last 10 years, we're doing a little rough calculation. I think we've worked with over 300 creatives. So 300 people who are bringing their creative expertise into the organisation. Again, unusually, we have a writer on our board. We have an architect on our board. And this idea about, um, you know, how, what is the difference when you go into our space um, as a museum, archive and library? So I'll spend a couple of minutes just sort of talking a little bit about what we do. So we're a place that is visited and used by well over 20,000 visitors a year. As I say, they're locally, nationally, internationally. We're based in the east end of the city in an area that is in the 5% that suffers, five, in the 5% that suffers the worst deprivation in Scotland. In some ways, Glasgow Women's Library is a misnomer because we're not just a library, we're an archive and a museum and a space that's got lots of different facets, as I'm going to mention. We're not just for women, we're open to everyone and we work across Scotland. So we've done lots of work in Dundee, uh, we work all over with loads and loads of different uh, users. So we're innovative in our structure as well as in our programming. So you will notice lots of museums, libraries and archives now are very much about how can we get young people through the door? How can we get people uh, of colour through the door? How can we... Well, we, I suppose traditionally museums have focused on objects and collections care and secondarily on these issues about how to get people through. And I suppose we've grown in the opposite direction. So we were developed by and have always included what some organisations call the hard to reach, but we prefer to call the easy to ignore people. So equality and diversity at the core of what we're doing. So inclusion has been almost like the default way that we were right from the outset. Um, so as I've mentioned, we involve artists and designers in all aspects of our work, but their work with us helps us to better understand what we're doing, to make our collections come alive and make them more accessible. And I wanted to mention one wee example, just to give you an idea. I suppose this is one of the landmarks, I suppose, milestones um, to mix a metaphor in the library's uh, life. So in 2012, we uh, we were 21 years old and we, we just thought, I suppose this is sort of indicative of the way that we think. We just sort of thought, let's mark our 21st anniversary to do something creative, do something entrepreneurial, which is also part of our DNA. You know, we've had to survive without co-funding for most of our development. So we've really seen the way that design can help 
promote what you're doing when you don't have a promotion budget, but also um, to uh, really send a signal out about the difference of our collections and the work that we do. So we commissioned 21 artists and 21 writers to make a new work inspired by our collections. So um, this is one of the artists here, uh, Ruth Barker, working with uh, obviously a prop not properly um, cared for poster collection at the time, because I can see that they're all rolled up there, uh, which our museum curator and archivist now would be really mortified at, but uh, that's not the way that they keep posters now. Um, but artists like Ruth, um, worked with the collection, mined the collection, and made new works inspired by what they found um, in our stores. Also, I mentioned about the digital. The digital has been always really important. We were a very, very early adopter of the internet, and we really love to sort of try and get the flavor, the special ingredient of GWL across on the website. So you can see here that the 21 Revolutions project, which is what we call this anniversary project, we had digital outcomes as well. So we invited all the writers to record a podcast, um, almost like a recording of the stories that they'd generated inspired by our collections. And as I mentioned, the sort of entrepreneurial side of it, we asked all the, the artists to create um, an edition of prints and we said that they could keep one and we could keep one for our collection and then we would sell the rest to, to raise money. So this is Ruth. Uh, you saw this sort of inspiration for her work. Actually, she ended up being inspired by um, the sort of low-tech photocopied agitprop material in our collection, but also the idea of the warm welcome that she thought everybody got in the the Women's Library. So you can see in this uh, next image in the publication that we developed, she made printed scarves that wrapped around you like the hug that she felt that she got in the Women's Library. Um, so these are new works that refer to earlier works in the collection, or some of the sort of like incredible, inspiring things that we, we have in our collection. Um, and this is just one of the very many publications we designers have worked on with us. And I did promise that I wouldn't talk about the gift shop, but I'm going to talk about our gift shop anyway, because I might as well. One of the more recent projects uh, where one of the designers um, generated a publication is a project called From Glasgow Women's Library. So this is Jocelyn Cower's publication. And designers were asked to, again, generate um, items for our gift shop inspired by our collections, again. So our collections include things like suffragette memorabilia. They include things like campaigning materials from the second wave women's liberation movement. They contain knitting patterns, uh, badges, posters, uh, placards, millions and millions of different things that re reflect the very diverse histories and lives and experiences of women, not just across Scotland, but from further afield as well. So this project from Glasgow Women's Library, we've got a new building and we wanted some items in our gift shop that would reflect the collection, but would also give an opportunity for designers to do risk-taking work and also 
could involve the public as well. So there was lots of um, associated activities um, that took place. So, for example, these fabulous mugs, which I must say when the designer said, I'm going to make uh, mugs that say, I love my pubes on, or women like orgasms too. I did wonder whether they might sell, and they sold out instantly. In fact, I think they sold out the quickest um, of any products that we've ever uh, produced. Um, some of the other things from the from Glasgow Women's Library collection, again, re related to items, in this case, from our suffragette collection, um, these works here inspired these charm bracelets, um, which were produced by or developed by Ruth Ewan in a jeweller called Joy BC. Um, again, sold out. Um, a really beautiful, oh, sorry, a really beautiful um, sketchbook that was inspired by the facade of the building and the interior of the Women's Library. So you can see that Finch and Fouracre, in the first part of the sketchbook, it's this beautiful die-cut representation of, of the building. Um, and then I wanted to mention, this is Donna Wilson, who's a, a really, really well-regarded, well-famous Scots designer, produces gorgeous cushions. But I also wanted to mention our fabulous carpet. I think it must be one of our, the most tweeted carpets in the world. You know, you get loads of people who love, this is the Bridgeton Cross on the carpet. And um, that was made in the Templeton Carpet Factory, which is a very famous place where loads of women worked in Glasgow at the early part of the 20th century. And the, I mentioned the carpet because the carpet and the china and the other designed items in our library space that often, uh, like the china cups, again, massively tweeted, really beloved, that they came about because we didn't have any money, you know. Um, so loads of the items. I should say that the whole collection has been donated. Every single book, every single item in the museum and archive collection has been donated. But also the this sort of designed environment reflects the interests and the, the generosity and the kindness of our users. Um, and I think that that's a felt experience for people coming in. Probably the best um, selling item is these um, beautiful T-shirts, the Reading List T-shirts. Um, so I'm sure you get the idea immediately that these are titles from books. So uh, the designers, um, Kaiser and Maeve, sourced, you know, what are the most beloved books in the library? What are the ones that, you know, people take out most out on loan? and created these beautiful t-shirts. And in the same year um, that uh, from Glasgow Women's Library, the designers were working with us, I got an opportunity to be a guest selector at the Edinburgh International Book Festival and um, misunderstood the brief, which was to, I think, organize some sort of like panels. And I thought I could do anything. So I suggested, <laughs> uh, and good, Good on Edinburgh International Book Festival, they supported me. And I suggested a feminist takeover tent in George Street. And I got this feminist takeover tent. So I asked um, an artist, uh, um, Helen Domain, 
to give an opportunity for people to bring in their beloved T-shirts and recycle them again using inspired by um, the book title. So some people went AWOL and actually um, designed another another screen print, but many people came and thought about their favourite book by a woman and printed them on the T-shirts um, for free during the festival. We're really aware of the idea that, that sometimes design products can be prohibitive in the cost for people coming into the library and they might see some beautiful things and feel like, well, I can't afford to buy those. So we always make sure that there are items that are cheap and beautiful and, you know, also got some sort of lightness, ethical and underpinning. So the last few while we've been working with a local organisation called Weevolution and that's a called self-reliant groups, so groups of women and I think some mixed groups as well who work together on maybe a designed, uh, they work in other ways as well, they develop a coffee shop, so different types of things, but we work with women who designed a whole range of new products around the time that we're doing the From Glasgow Women's Library partnership with Panel. And I wanted to mention the wee purse that was uh, made there uh, from recycled uh, aircraft seats uh, with the GWR logo on, which is really lovely because I'm going to mention the person, uh, its new incarnation in a moment. I know that this is a whirlwind uh, tour, but I did want to give you an idea of different ways that design um, is involved in our day-to-day -day work. We have a relationship with lots of students of design students in further and higher education. I was really surprised to discover that colleges of further and higher education where students are learning design don't have a lot of contact with each other and yet they're grappling with the same sort of issues of how to make fabulous works that have got a design punch and are doing amazing things. So last year was Muriel Spark's birthday and we've got we're mad on Spark in the library. But talking to quite a lot of young people who are volunteering or using the library, not a lot of young people are reading Muriel's book. Maybe they are after this incredible centenary year. But we thought we'd do a project where we were working with further and higher education students in design, illustration and animation. And we would ask them to read Spark because we thought they would love Spark because she's just such an amazing writer. Uh, I think a lot of young people like, this is a huge generalisation, but they love dark stuff and nasty stuff. And she does a lot of really dark stuff. So anyway, um, I think of the art school students that we work with, only one had come across Muriel's Spark before, which is remarkable. Um, so they all read Spark, and then you can see here, some of them created some beautiful um, covers for Spark books. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful project with lots of further education students and actually students from Dundee involved in, in this as well, designing animations. And we've gone on to work with more um, Dundee-based students in um, another really beautiful animation project that is um, animating the histories of 100 women suffragettes because the suffragette story is often 
about English suffragettes uh, where some of the, the leading suffragettes or the groundbreaking suffragettes were Scots. So um, that project, again, was about students learning about the history, but also translating it into amazing design. Now, I'm now here in this incredible museum. There, are, there is a designer in residence uh, project, as far as I understand it, which is absolutely brilliant to see. And I'm a real champion of the idea of designers in residence. And I think our designer in residence project started in 2016, and we've had five unbelievable designers uh, working with us. The first was Kirsty McBride, um, and she still works with us. She still designs our programs that if anybody's interested, you can take away with you. And I'm really delighted to say that um, our current visual communicator in residence, because that's a new term for designer in residence, is jo Joanne Defarge. And Joanne is actually with us today, so you get a chance to meet her if you are interested at the end of this session. So Kirsty has designed, Kirsty, our first designer, designed many objects, images, publications, and she curated this exhibition. So we tried to sort of leave a little bit of gap, even though the designers could work 24-7 for months and months and months with us, and we'd still have millions of things for them to do. We try and hive off a little bit of space for each designer to do their own projects. And Kirsty wanted to curate um, a show of our posters. But what she did do as well as design these exquisite um, poster design, um, poster display, um, freestanding, um, I don't know what you call them, frames. Um, and in the library, we don't have a massive amount of wall space to have designs, but we've got millions and millions of things to show. So Kirsty designed this really fabulous way of, of showing uh, not just posters, but other two-dimensional um, stuff as well. So um, I did want to say um, that GWL was shortlisted for Museum of the Year. I know you might be a little bit sensitive here. I'm still bitter and twisted about us not winning Museum of the Year in 2018. Uh, but uh, this fabulous museum was shortlisted um, last year, is that right? And didn't win, but was the rightful winner, in my, my view. Um, but we lost. Uh, we were shortlisted. I mean, the shortlist in itself was absolutely remarkable, but we did feel, because we had this massive, massive public support, and Scotland had never won Museum of the Year. It's the biggest um, museum prize in the world, and it was just like a real, real massive thing for us. So there was a little bit of controversy about the result, um, because it seemed like a cowardly result. Uh, this, of course, I would say that, wouldn't I? Um, we did publish a dossier about the whole process, and it's on our website, um, just almost like talking about uh, the process that we'd gone through, because we felt like it was a real landmark that a wee museum like ours, and one that's rooted in equalities and is a Scottish museum, got through to the shortlisting process. So we wanted other museums like us, not like the Tate, not like the Biggies, uh, to put in for it and go for it. So we published a dossier. 
But you can see that, again, hopefully people will think we've got a sense of humour, even though we're feminists, we've got massive sense of humour. Um, we did uh, produce these, again, best-selling tote bags. So for those of you who maybe can't read up there because it is tiny, tiny print there, it says, Tracy Emin didn't win the Turner Prize in 1999. Lots of people think that she did. Beyonce didn't win Album of the Year, again, ridiculous, for Lemonade in 2017. And Glasgow Women's Library didn't win Museum of the Year 2018. So this was our radical runners-up tote bag. And I must say, it's given me so much pleasure to see people in London and all over the place wearing their tote bags. So um, this is a way that a simple design, one colour on a black bag, you know, uh, raised money. And I wanted to mention, I don't have an image of it, unfortunately, because it's sold out immediately. We had to wear on the front of our building the branding for Museum of the Year, one of these sort of plasticized wrap things went across the building. And the pleasure we had saying to Weevolution, could you make that wrap into little purses? And they could. So the, the, the banner, which we were very sadly rolling up, and they go, oh, just like, we could make some money out of that. So... Um, it got recycled and it got made into beautiful purses. Um, so this period, 2016, 17, 18, leading up to Museum of the Year um, sort of episode was really like a watershed period for us. We just moved into our new space, which was a former Carnegie Library in Bridgeton, uh, only about five minutes walk from People's Palace. If anybody has um, not visited us, please, please, everyone is welcome, come and, come and visit us. But it was the first time we'd got a permanent home. We've got a beautiful building. We raised nearly two million pounds doing the building up. And you can see that on the end of the building, we needed to make, it, make the building accessible. So we, we attached a lift tower. Um, but typically, we're just thinking, how could design enable us to send a message? It could have been a just a big black box that was was just like, you know, a non-thing. Um, so we worked with the architects. We put in a bid to get some funding to work with the designer. We weren't successful, but we thought maybe with the architect, we could have a design statement now that would say something about what people would find in the building. So again, maybe can't see it so well, but you can look on our website and better still come and visit. Around the build, around this lift tower are the titles of books in our collection that were selected by our volunteers, by us. It includes our own um, publications as well. So right at the bottom is 21 Revolutions that I mentioned earlier on, but also our LGBTQ Fanzine gets their fanzine or, or their zine in the middle of it as well. And what I'm really pleased to say is I think we've had one bit of graffiti. And it wasn't anti-woman, it was just random. I think everybody got graffitied in one instance. But I'm really proud that the, the hoardings that we've got down here that I'm going to mention in the lift has only had one little incident. And we did have one complaint uh, when, when it went up. And it was just a woman saying, I'm really unhappy about that. 
you should have some spotlighting on it at night because it's so low, you know. So we're really, really pleased that um, it, it, the local community are really chuffed that we've done the building up, but we've just added to the building too. So in the last wee uh, sort of couple of minutes, I just wanted to mention this before going on to this most exciting bit of design stuff that you are going to get a sort of fresh, a fresh hot off the press um, bit of information about. But I did want to mention the way that um, Kirsty McBride, who was um, designer in residence number one, how designers problem solve stuff um, and should always be asked before you do anything because they have a different take on everything. So we had a problem in the women's lobby. We inherited shelves. Um, and we also, as I mentioned, all our books are donate, donated. So you can imagine with shelves that don't have lovely labelling on already and with stuff coming in all the time, there's frequently somebody will arrive with 16 bags, you know, they're doing a flitting and they've been keeping women's poetry for 40 years and they're donating it, that suddenly you have to shift the shelves around or make space on the shelves. So we needed shelf dividers. So um, Kirsty worked with, I'm hoping you can still hear me if I move, move here, um, with recycled wood, designed these beautiful things that, again, I'm hoping that some of you heard this phrase, a woman on the shelf. It's a humorous um, type of phrase. But we were saying, we want to put women on our shelves that you, you would discover that are maybe... Um, well, my grandma is on the shelf or, you know, people's beloved uh, aunts or writers or people who've done something that maybe you're just going to discover as you're going through the shelves. So this was our way also of generating the income that we needed to fill the funding gap to develop our building, to make it fully accessible. Um, so I think we raised something like, £40,000 uh, on this Women in the Shelf campaign. And what is beautiful is that people had a different relationship to the material than in most mainstream collections in that everything has been donated. So they could see the books that they donated. They can see things in their collection that is theirs or was their great aunts or whatever. But what we didn't expect is the way that people feel about the shelves now when they've got to see themselves on it. We often see people standing by the shelves posing with family members, you know, and it's just a really lovely thing because it's about ownership of the space. Um, so I'm not going to go on too much more because I do want to save a little bit of time for some questions, but also just to uh, share, as I say, something that's hot off the press that a designer is helping us work through at the moment. But I thought I would just show you just quickly the way that the space has been used and changed through what I would call the agency of design. So you'll see here, this is a project Christina Gariga developed for us, but you'll see these black shapes here that make a beautiful pie. Some people call them the cheese slices in the library. Some people call them the cake slices. But um, this was for a particular project, but you can see the way that the cheese slices are used in another setting there, you know, on, on one of our quiz nights. And I love the way that designers have, 
you know, whether it's logos or an, uh, the designed elements in our collection, have kept the space uh, flexible for us to do lots of different things. But this is, there's a, a beautiful ingredient added each time that we work with a creative. So um, on the facade of the building, for example, uh, on the outside of the building, I'm going to mention in a second about a flagpole that we've put there. But also in some of the events, when we first moved to Bridgeton, uh, it's an area that is freighted with a lot of history. It's a, an area associated with sectarianism. You know, so, so thinking about how could we speak to the local community about what we're about? And sashes and banners have another association as well. They've been used by suffragettes in campaigning histories. So again, how could we design an impact that we would make this is long before the big processions, the reenactments re of pageants that have been happening in the last year or so. Uh, this was our first project, March of Women, in our local area, and it really made quite a bold impression about what people could expect from us. It was very much about celebrating women's achievements and histories. Um, I mentioned about the facade of the building as well. We decided to have a flagpole, and this flag, uh, this gives us an opportunity to make a design statement as and when we feel it's appropriate. So the first one was uh, a remarkable artist called Linda, who was with us again this last weekend. It was a phenomenal uh, artist. And then we were very lucky to have, uh, to be the first pop-up venue for Artemisia Gentileschi's, um, she's a remarkable Renaissance artist, the National Gallery in London bought one of her works, I think it was something like seven or eight million pounds, but they wanted it to go to locations outside the National Gallery. So she came to, to Glasgow, to the Women's Library. It was just a pinching moment for us. It's like, oh, I can't believe that that's happening. But we thought, well, we'll not everybody might know that this work is in there. How could we tell people in a really beautiful way that there's something happening in the Women's Library? So um, I just wanted to, in the last five minutes or so, just to sort of mention a little bit. I mentioned earlier on that I've been on, I've been AWOL for the library for the last year, just popping in now and again, but out and about. I've been in Kenya, in Brazil, in the USA, in London, and other places, capturing information about, I suppose, reflecting on what's been happening in the last 30 years in the Women's Library, but also sort of like looking at how leadership has been working in lots of different settings and thinking about questions about equality and access and communications and so on. And I was thinking a little bit about, over that period, about the work that we've been doing over the last four or five years, um, headed up by Rachel Thane Gray, working with myself, going into lots of organisations just really talking about the work that we've been doing and asking some of the questions about who owns the organisations that were publicly funded and how could we help organisations to reflect on some of the key questions that I think we all need to be asking now of the organisations that we're, we're paying for. And I noticed, almost like having the time to reflect, that we're often using infographics to look at 
these questions. And Rachel is a real fan of, of, of infographics and does these really well. And we've got lots and lots of these different types of ways of almost thinking about the ways that people can feel uh, marginalised from the resources that should be available to everyone. So I'm going to share with you, with again an apology, the um, what we call organograms in organisations. And this became a massive thing for me, organograms. Organograms really, I think a lot of organisations use them almost in a functional way to try and describe the, their HR or their organisational plan. And it's often, I've noticed, when I've been interviewing people, used when redundancies <laughs> are going to be made or restructuring or, you know, they're often feared. And I was sort of thinking, hmm, how does this square with our values? You know, well, it's all right us going to other organisations, but how, do, how does our organogram reflect our values? We're not a collective... We're, but we're not a command and control structure. We're not like a pyramid of power either. So what what could it look like if we were to sort of like think about this? So it's a long time since I've been doing design and I just did a scribble and somebody else sort of tried to, after a strategic planning meeting a couple of years ago, tried to come up with an organogram that better reflected our values. So I mentioned earlier on about Margaret, our finance worker, works in our green cluster. We can see here, these little things here are our clusters. This is the way that we try and help unleash the potential of our staff team. So if you happen to be an admin worker, our admin workers work in green clusters, but they also work in the active welcome cluster and others other staff team members, this is the way that we get board, staff and volunteers working together. So the way that this thinking was developing was saying, hold on, equality and diversity and responsibility for environment is everybody's, everybody's responsibility in the organisation. Anyway, I'm not going to spend time on that because I've got more exciting things to show you. When I got back from Claw. I've gathered some other examples of what I thought were clear, clearer organograms, not necessarily about staff in this instance. This is Sankofa, a really fabulous organisation in the States. And to me, this looked really great because it's like almost like Sankofa collaborates with to do that, that does that, supported by them, and the result is that. You know, so I thought this is really transparent this is an organization that really understands what it's doing and why it's doing it and so on one thing that i was slightly concerned about was the siloing of these different things because i really don't like divisions i really don't like silos i think silos are, in my experience now are really difficult things so i think in the arts now a lot of these things are are very much more merged this is what I wanted to share with you. So, um, and I'm sorry, it's slightly pixelated. It's a thing of beauty in real life. This is draft one of jo Joanne's um, beautiful thinking about organograms. So I gave 
Joanne, an impossible brief. I think she'd been in the door maybe about two weeks or three weeks or whatever is our visual communication in residence. And I said, this is our complex, multifaceted, unique organisation. How would you express this as a design? And this is her first attempt to do it. So you can see the clusters here. These are these little groups within the organisation that cross cut and are focused on really specific areas of our work. She's tried to look at things like the programmes and the resources that we've got. And she's also tried to do something here that is, it's not denying the fact that we are a hierarchical organisation, but it's actually looking at it in a different, has been developing different ways of thinking about the organisation that is actually impacting on the way that I think about the structure going forward and the way that we could conceive the organisation. So I'm sharing this because this is, a ra this is radical stuff. This is saying that a designer could actually, because usually the designer, all the thinking's done and they're given a job, go and design that bag or do that graphic just like you always do it but in blue or do it for the, you know. This is a designer actually starting to change my thinking about how the organisation looks. I did look, feel a little bit insecure when I'm the creative development manager. I thought, I'm in dots, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, um, but then I thought, oh, it's interesting because to me, this actually aligned with a lot of my thinking that I've been doing on, in the research period that is about organisations using, um, it's called um, biomimicry. This is what I'm really interested in at the moment of how nature can give us clues about the way that organisations could work. And one of the models that I've been thinking about is the way that geese fly and that they're organised in a way that the people at the front are stopping the drag on the people the geese behind. And that actually that those roles change a little bit. Sometimes the geese at the back come to the front and so on and so forth. And that's definitely the case in the women's library. You know, that I... Um, but I couldn't be on a tech cluster because I don't know very much about tech. On the cluster that's in the tech, it's the people who know most about that. So, um, and you can see what I love here is the way that John's done the um, values, almost like the power behind. I, I I see this as sort of like driving forward in a really brilliant brilliant way. It's a dynamic vision. And I'm now going to share with you something nobody else outside the organisation has seen any of this. So this is like really important stuff. So this is another beautiful representation. We haven't even had a chance to talk about this. John, John sent it to me uh, just the, in the last wee while. But uh, along the top here, are, um, John's been working with the rest of the team, looking at the ways that we could signal back to the idea of if you didn't have confidence in English or you didn't have confidence in uh, reading, how would you know that an event might be for you? So John's been sort of developing these really lovely graphics that could sit on some of the material. And again, you can see that this is reckoning with the fact that it's not, and apologies for it, it looks beautiful. I've, Put it off the end, it's been formatting. Um, but 
Yeah, that we've got, we've still got management happening, but we've got in this sort of beautiful horseshoe configuration in this representation. Uh, and again, like this beautiful idea of everything signaling the values, you know, that this is something that we're broadcasting to the world. And I love in these, these iterations the idea that the message is going out and in, in some of the representations it's clearer than, than others that we're receiving information as well. So I, I feel like this, and it's it, going to be interesting talking over the next few days or a few weeks about this with the wider team. Um, but I love the idea that this almost like it's the library that's driving this. And we are, you know, almost like with my institutional knowledge, because I've been involved for 30 years, you know, that there's something about succession planning here that when we drop off our perch or leave or do something else, you know, that actually this is, it, it's all driving the library forward. You know, it's great sometimes designers will just ask you a question that you've just not, it's like, oh, wow, we've been working for 20 years on that and I've never thought about that. Almost like thinking, what do you call somebody who comes into the library? You know, like, it's almost like this question was in my mind because we've got researchers working with us and they're doing a study of how people use the library and they were using the term consumer. And we said, well, technically there are consumers, but that's not how we talk about the people who come in. And then I thought, well, we don't have a consensus on the word. You know, so how that's so unhelpful for a designer if you said, well, we don't actually have a word for... They're the most important thing, but we don't have a word for them. So... I really love the way that John's resolved that as members, volunteers, researchers, borrowers, learners, friends, but in this really lovely way, because again, we had a conversation where I was saying, well, somebody could come on with, with a hat on as a volunteer one day, and then later on in the afternoon, she could be a learner, or she could be then, you know, going and buying something, or then be on the board in the evening, you know, so um, I really like the idea of the different ways that people can sort of get involved in our work. If there's a message to anybody who's working in any groups that you can't do without um, design uh, driving your organisation forward. But thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find more stories and resources on our website at vam.ac.uk forward slash Dundee. That's vam.ac.uk forward slash Dundee.